Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. As expected, the market had its best week in ages. Dow gaining 75 points. S&P rising 0.31%. NASDAQ advancing 0.14%. Because that's what tends to happen in the wake of a fantastic high growth, low inflation employment number. Exactly what we got one week ago. So can the Dow and the S&P take out their January highs from before the market had its big tariff-induced blow-off? I think there's a good chance it will happen. But in many ways, next week will determine if this run can continue. Not because of earnings. We have almost no reports. But because of the President and the Fed. Now, before we get to our game plan, I want to point out that there are way too many people who keep trading off of presidential tweets and trade war fears. These are very fluid issues, people. Whenever the trade hardliners from the White House speak, this market gets hammered. Then when the more laissez-faire members of the team speak, the market soars. I think the whole dance is kind of silly, frankly. Trade is a work in progress, so I continue to buy the market on any severe downturns caused by these worries. Think of it this way. We've had the best action in three months for the Dow, and that occurred ahead of the Fed meeting, ahead of the G7 meeting and ahead of the North Korean summit. Worry has not been paying off here. So with that in mind, let's go to the game plan for next week. On Monday morning, we'll get to see the fallout of the Canadian G7 meeting. These summits usually mean very little to me. I've done this show for 13 years. I don't think I've ever mentioned one before, not even in passing. Well, here we are. This is not your usual G7 meeting. We know that relations with our allies are souring as the president regularly calls whole countries out as bad actors. And he introduced the notion that Russia, once unceremoniously booted from the then G8, should be allowed to come back in. That's not exactly a popular position. I figure nothing good comes of it, but that is conventional wisdom. So if anything good does actually happen, good meaning, uh, say, uh, some give by our allies to solve the trade issue, then we can get a real boost next week. We've also got an important retailer reporting after the close. It's called Restoration Hardware, RH. If, li- if literally every home furnishings company is doing well, I have to believe that restoration will be spectacular. Frankly, I think we're witnessing a once-in-a-generation retail and apparel accoutrements bull market where these companies report good numbers and their stocks go up for three or four or five days rather than just one or two. I bet Restoration Harbor experiences something similar. Tuesday's got some real outside news that could roil the market. First, President Trump will be meeting with North Korea. And again, like the G7 meetings, nobody really expects anything big to come out of it. If something does, I believe the stock market will be ebullient. Uh, but again, the odds of something ebullient producing more, let's say, uh, Positive feeling that we currently have, eh, let's call it slim. We should also get the court decision about the government's challenge of the Time Warner ATT deal. Yesterday at the deal's third annual corporate governance conference, I had the privilege of interviewing Macon Del Rahim. Now, he is the assistant attorney general for antitrust. I, I think his brief, uh, holding that the consumer could be a loser if this deal is consummated, has a very good chance of winning. Although you need to know that I'm very much in the minority here. More important, he talked about being a powerful antitrust enforcer. 
more powerful than his predecessors, which suggests to me that he might keep trying to block the merger even if he loses on Tuesday. This morning, my colleague David Faber talked about how he expects Comcast, the parent company of this network, to make its bid for the Fox assets next Wednesday to snatch that business away from Disney. Assistant AG Del Rahim had positive things to say about how Disney's approaching the deal, cordoning off things that might make the transaction more problematic for the regulators. Maybe Comcast will try to do the same thing to avoid the Justice Department's wrath, agreeing not to seek certain pieces of the quarry. Either way, it will be a momentous day in media land, but it won't be as momentous as the Federal Reserve meeting. Not when we're expecting a rate hike on Wednesday. We may feel calm and collected right now about it, but in the fog of Fed war, almost anything can happen. I'll say this. If the market takes this well-telegraphed rate hike poorly, that might be another chance to do some buying into weakness on this day. Remember, there's always someone who doesn't know or doesn't believe that the Fed is going to tighten. So that person or institutions panic, and that's where your opportunity comes in. It usually comes in between 2 and 3 in the afternoon. What else happens on Wednesday? Mark Benioff and his team at Salesforce.com are holding an investor conference. I think it's going to be great, hence why my travel trust owns it, but I, I'd be a buyer of the stock ahead of this confab. This is an opportune moment, a very opportune moment. A Salesforce, uh, their market cap just is approaching $100 billion. At one point, it ticked there. I bet you'll hear multiple justifications of that valuation. Remember, the last time we spoke to Mark, his company blew away the numbers in a truly amazing quarter. I expect he'll explain how this was nothing aberrant. Uh, as the growth of the cloud is still in the early innings. Thursday, we hear from still one more retailer. Remember, we just went through a big gauntlet of retailers. This one's Michael's Companies. I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm expecting some good numbers from this arts and crafts chain. Michael's has a worshipful following of parents and children and millennials because it's all about helping them chase new experiences. We've also got a, a results from a company I follow very closely called J-Bill. It's J-A-B-I-L. It's a contract manufacturer that handles a lot of Apple business. Now, remember, Apple is like Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is no one talks about Fight Club. Apple stock was down today because of industry sources saying the company's cutting back supply orders pretty heavily. J-Bill won't be able to refute that story straight up, but even an oblique mention of how well Apple uh, is doing and how many orders they're placing with J-Bill could, could go a long way <clears throat> Excuse me, toward putting the stock of the world's largest company back on track. They had a little bit of setback today. Finally, on Friday, Centene, CNC is an analyst meeting. I've championed this healthcare company for ages, and I think that CEO Michael Nydorf might choose this venue to raise numbers in the wake of the recent Fidelis acquisition. That said, Centene's had a monster move, and I think it may be too late to buy it, at least for the moment. Nevertheless, I still expect the meeting to be positive. Here's the bottom line. Next week, Washington dominates Wall Street. But I'm betting the rosy hue from last Friday's Labor Department report will not be dimmed by anything coming out of the G7, North Korea, or the Federal Reserve. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim! Hey, Jim. This is... Uh Calling from uh, the Sunshine State, big booyah to you. All right, Sunshine, how can I help? All right, so in mid-May, my stock I'm calling about is IGT. In mid-May, yeah. Supreme Court legalizes sports betting. Okay, I bought this stock on this news. Stock held up around 30, which is very short-lived, and then since then it's been falling on its face right. with no bad news that I can see. So I want to know what gives. Too much hot money in it. Uh, company's doing fine. Uh, I think it's overdone on the downside. Uh, I, would, I would stick with it. I'm almost even tempted to uh, buy the stock here. All right, let's go to Bill in Utah. Bill. Hey, Jim. Yeah, Bill. Great to be with you. I follow your uh, advice and your analysis, uh, both in the morning with the guys at the opening bell and also Mad Money, of course. Thank you. Really appreciate you. Uh, a few weeks ago, you did a segment called Off the Charts, in which you analyzed the prices of oil and following a longitudinal study. said, 
is probably likely to go down. Yes. I've been following a company called Denberry Resources and investing in it uh, for some time. DNR is sort of hitting a resistance point. It follows oil closely. Is right. this a good time to buy more? No, we're going to follow exactly what Carly Garner said in that off the charts, which she said that oil could go down to 60. Oil has not been acting that well. We do have a lot of problems with, with our own position in oil because it comes from the Permian. And there's no re- way to be able to get all that oil out of the Permian. So uh, I'm not a fan of DNR, which I used to call do not resuscitate. Uh, and I think that oil is going to hit 62, 63, and then we'll reassess. All right. Washington will dominate next week. But you know what? I still think we'll have a rosy you on Mad Money tonight. Verizon CEO just announced a stepping down. How is one of the company's largest subsidiaries handling the news? I'm talking to O's Tim Armstrong about what's ahead. Then Five Below might be known for its deals, but after it surged higher yesterday, can one still be found in the stock itself? And Chip and Joanna from HGTV's Fixer Upper probably aren't going to be renovating your house anytime soon, but there's one company that can help. And we actually looked them at for our places. Do not miss my exclusive with CNBC disruptor Howls. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Roughly a year ago, Verizon turned itself into a digital media titan when it acquired Yahoo and merged it with AOL, which they picked up a couple of years before. So last June, the company created a new subsidiary digital media property called Oath. Uh, There are some great assets in here, including Yahoo's terrific sports websites, but by far the best asset that Oath has, it's its leader, Tim Armstrong, formerly the CEO of AOL. And now that he's had a year to get things running, I think he can start doing some impressive things. Now, we checked in with Tim Armstrong, the CEO of Verizon's Oath subsidiary, earlier today. So take a look. Tim, before we get started with our interview about Oath, there is a change at the top at Verizon. Impact on you? Uh, Well, impact is uh, great because it's uh, really about 5G. And Verizon's been a leader in 1G to 4G. 5G is really where the world's going. And today's announcement with Lowell stepping up to executive chairman and Hans coming in as CEO really tells you how serious we are about 5G and building out the next layer of connected consumers. We want to be the largest media company at Oath connecting directly to mobile consumers. So for us, this is just a pure signal, a pure leadership sign that Verizon is going to be the leader in 5G. And and a lot of that, I know Lowell is uniquely linked to 5G. He's the first guy who told me how big it is. He's staying as executive chairman, so you'll be working with him. Yes, so both both Lowell and Hans and I will be uh, spending a lot of time with Lowell basically building out the vision that Lowell put in place, which is, you know, really 5G takes, you know, broadband and gives it to every consumer, every place they are. And uh, Lowell's vision around digital media, he was the first real telco executive to say, hey, 
linear is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Digital is where consumers are going, so let's let's head to digital. So the combination between Lowell, Hans, and I, you know, we're in a great position to basically capitalize on both the future of 5G, but also the future of media. Okay, you typically don't hear media execs talk about the speed uh, and the technology that gets it to you. Uh, this make, does make Oath, and, and you, because of your background, a little bit different. So the advantage of what you're doing over what everybody else might have if you do go fast 5G? You know, 5G, uh, Jim, for our, for our business represents a really quantum shift. It's 10 times the speed of what consumers get today. And not only that, but the compute power inside of 5G will allow us, you're a big sports fan, I'm yes. a sports fan, allow you to get, you know, if you like fantasy now, you're going to love VR, AR fantasy in real time, being able to follow not the, just the game, but individual players. So 5G is going to bring an enhancement that will feel like AR, VR type level uh, content and services. So that's why 5G is important. It's, it's more speed, but it's also amazing amounts of compute power for us to do different types of content. Okay, so let's talk about what happened with Oath, and let's talk about the, uh, the arc of Oath. I mean, you were uh, AOL. You did fantastic at AOL, made people a lot of money, you come here, then you get Yahoo, and then things get a little murky, Tim. Yeah. I mean, when I look at the analyst reports, that it, it's not clear where Oath fits in, even though it's a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, can you more define the vision for people right now so that, uh, that people understand that Oath is a real company within a company and has great prospects? Sure. So o Oath on its own, Jim, is about a Fortune 300 company. We do about $8 billion in revenue. We have 13,000 employees. We have traffic from 175 countries. So Oath is a, is a big property uh, on its own. It's a big piece of where Verizon's going in the future from a media and 5G perspective. Uh, but really importantly is, you know, our mission is to build brands that members love. And uh, if you think about where the world's going flat with technology, you know, we've been trying to be the company that really breaks brands out as separate things. So, you know, you notice recently we just signed a huge deal with Samsung globally to put our brands, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Finance, Yahoo News, directly onto Samsung devices. And so when you think about what consumers want in the future, they want trusted brands, and they want to basically have a company that's built for mobile, for built for how they use the world. And I think Oath is probably the largest brand media company built for mobile in the world right now, and we're going to continue to scream down that path as fast as we can. What's the advantage of being the largest <clears throat> brand built on mobile versus uh, just a typical journalist outfit? Yeah, so I think, you know, one is we are very into high-quality content. And I think when you see what's happening today with fake news and all the things right. in the world, things, you know, I, the things I think your, your career and what CNBC does, you guys do super high-quality content uh, for the financial industry. You know, we believe that that, that is going to work really well in mobile. And what consumers want at the end of the day is they want to have a really good use of time. They want to know where they're getting in the information from, and they want to trust it. So the ability to have, there's 3 billion people connected right now. There's another 3 billion people that are going to get connected. The vast majority of those are all going to be mobile connections. And so if we can be the first company to bring trusted brands to that size audience overall, that represents an unbelievable opportunity for us as a business. And that's what our, you know, our global team is really excited about. Well, I never lost my affinity for Yahoo Finance. It's, it's my, the icon that I follow. Uh, but I used to be big into Yahoo Sports, and our team at CNBC, we were always rotisserie Yahoo Sports. And then one day, someone said, we're moving to ESPN. I don't even know who did it, but someone who's younger than I am. Uh, I came up through Yahoo. You knew me from my early sports.com yes. days. It, what happened, and how do you get that back? Yeah. So, Jim, you know, the fantasy sports online and really the, the drive to digital, you were at the beginning of it. I was there with you at Starwave uh, back in the 90s. 
you know, really what is fans want to be enabled. And I, I think the enablement that fantasy sports brings on a technology standpoint is, is, is incredible. It allows you to be a fandom connected with other fans. Uh, ESPN, I think, has been a great competitor to us in that area. I would say one thing we're doing differently, and I'm going to come visit your rotisserie league to, to give the pitch okay. directly myself, is... You know, we're, we're in a space where we're reconnecting the Yahoo ecosystem right now. I think Yahoo, when we took over Yahoo, we basically have pivoted away from things like uh, search and some of the areas that they were publicly going after back to the mega brands at Yahoo. So when you, we think about sports, you're exactly the person we want on that property. We want your rotisserie league on it, and we want you there every day. And I think clear messaging for us as a business is Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Finance, Yahoo News, uh, Yahoo Weather, all those things matter a lot because those are the things that you do every single day and you're passionate about. So our, our, our ability to get you off of ESPN and to think about us as the number one partner for fantasy, that's what we're doing. We just signed a huge deal with the NFL to broadcast you know, the NFL 256 live games on your mobile device. I'm hoping that's going to entice your rotisserie league to look at your fantasy and the live sports you know, together. So we're, we're, we want you back. Now, we know that uh, ATT is trying to close on Time Warner. It's not clear we're going to. Next week we get a court decision. But how about original program? When are we going to see it? Yeah, uh, we are big investors in programming. Uh, and I think when you think about our programming right now, Jim, the linear areas where people have gone to, you see lots of series getting created. Right. We've taken a different path, which is a wide open path in our mind, is we have probably the largest live entertainment product in the world online, which is right down the street at our build studio. We do about 1,200 live celebrity interviews right on the street in New York City. Uh, we are also investing heavily in sports content, as you've seen. But so, no movies. But no, 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 no movies yet. But maybe that, maybe yes. that's a stake. Yeah. So right. Yeah. I mean, because look how we've seen this, where someone comes through with a movie, and then they're then they're regarded as being an entertainment company, not yeah. just a media company. Video game entertainment, yes. not just movie. Yeah. Right. Well, Jim, let me tell you something. We are um, the probably the only digital company also that was nominated for Emmys. Uh, for Oscars this year. And again, you may not see it as much as a Netflix who's investing $8 billion in 900 new original series. We basically are going after AR, VR, and the future of where digital is going. So if you if you talk to the insiders inside the, the content business, they look at us as the 5G future of AR, VR, where we're going for those. And I think that we've been getting more and more hardware uh, awards in the uh, in the space of content because of our investments in those areas. So you, you'll think of us as new sports, finance, entertainment, but you're also going to start seeing us in very, very deep AR, VR-related entertainment programming. Okay, I'm very glad to hear us because, you know, periodically <laughs> you get rumored uh, that WPP job. I mean, are, are these rumors just typically people saying, well, they want Armstrong. They're not going to get him. Well, Jim, I, you know, I've, I've had a, uh, a really long career and a career that's been really fortunate. I have uh, you know, was, knew you at Starway back in the days. <laughs> I got 20, to work, work, work at, 22 20 years, years ago. Worked at Google for 10 years. Right. Uh, came in to turn AOL and spin AOL out of Time Warner and, and turned around AOL. And uh, we had a great run as a public company. We beat the S&P 500. And, uh, and when I took the job here when we sold to Verizon, you know, my real passion is about serving the billion consumers we right. have and building this place to be, you see what's happening here, to be the most creative 
digital media place uh, on the planet. <laughs> and so I'm really passionate about what we're doing. So I would, I would just say those are rumors. But one last question. Yeah. Do you think it's because you happen to be in a company with one of the biggest revenue bases in the world that that's why Oath isn't talked about more? Because it's tough to move the needle with some company that's as large as Verizon. Yeah, look, we are, the biggest asset we have is that every consumer in the world is going to mobile. We have one of the largest, highest quality companies in Verizon that's mobile behind us. They're a Fortune 20 company and they're mobile. We're a digital 20 company and we're all mobile and digital. So we're in an awesome spot. And the last thing I would just say is, you know that content matters. I, mean, oh, yeah. I, I saw you at the Super Bowl. Yeah. My son, we were all lined up at the red carpet thing, and they were all NFL players. The one person my son picked out and wanted a picture with was you. <laughs> and so you realize that digital content matters, Jim, because my son watches the NFL. He's an NFL fan. He also watches kid. 16-year-old kid watches Mad Money, and the only picture he wanted was with you. So if we can create that <laughs> level of affinity across all of our mobile properties uh, in general, it's really it's an amazing opportunity for us. Always a delight to speak to Tim Armstrong, who is Oath CEO. Thank you so much, Tim. Tell your boys at home. I will. Jack will be happy. Kramer fave five below shoot into the stratosphere yesterday with its stock falling nearly 22% in a single session. Well, the company reported Wednesday night and the numbers, they were downright phenomenal. Five below, which is a retail chain where everything is, well, you got it, five bucks or less. See? Five bucks. I mean, is that? I mean, like slay. <laughs> okay, five nearly every line. I issued some amazing guidance on this conference call in last Friday's game plan. I told you that five below would have a strong quarter. Remember, I said that was Signet Jewelers too. But even I didn't know how strong it would be. Hey, it's better to be lucky than good. Still, even after a, a perfect quarter, it, it's rarely enough to send the stock up more than twenty percent. Five Below was a $4.5 billion company on Wednesday. Last night it was a, 10, it was a $5.5 billion company, and it, it didn't even get a takeover bid. They added a billion dollars of value in 24 hours. Why? Because something changed yesterday. It wasn't just the quarter, or at least not the quarter by itself. These results were a wake-up call for Wall Street. Suddenly, all sorts of analysts and investors started to believe in Five Below's strategy and its long-term prospects. I'd argue this story was there all along, though. It's why I've been such a fan of the stock. But yesterday, a lot of skeptics were converted into believers, and of course, a lot of shorts covered their shorts. So let's dig deeper. For those of you who don't know Five Below and its incredible merchandise like what I'm showing you, it's a Philadelphia-based chain that's been growing like a weed. It's now got more than 650 stores across 32 states. Think of it as a higher-end dollar store. $5, dollars $5, $5, and one that has a lot of appeal to kids because they have all sorts of toys. Look at the great toy. I gotta get this for my wife. <laughs> Now, in the past year and a half, this stock has caught fire. It's up nearly 135% over the last 18 months, including a more than 50% run just in 2018. So even before yesterday's move, Five Below was a monster winner. For years now, I've been making the same case here. 
Five Below is a fabulous regional to national growth story. I even have a graphic that took a, that mayor, so I wasn't able to get to the Hamptons in time. It's going to come up soon. It's putting up new units left and right. Target graphic. Targeting 20% sales growth and 20% earnings growth. The stores have a treasure hunt vibe that makes shopping there. It's, it's kind of fun. I mean, take a look at this. See what I mean? I mean, look at this thing. I mean, it's a pinata. I mean, I'm a pinata, and that this is a pinata. We're both pinatas. All right, on top of that, Five Below knows its audience. Their customers are young tweens and their millennial or Gen X parents, and they've got a terrific understanding of social media to draw these people uh, in. I mean, put it all together, and you've got a recipe for success. Really, though, while the concept is terrific, the core of this story is all indeed about this map. So come over here and take a look at the map, all right? See, look at this. Five Below has gradually been expanding across the country, starting in the middle Atlantic. Remember, I said they're from Philly, then taking over the southeast and then moving west. They just put up their first California locations last year. And they, you know, come on, one fifth of the country and they're only in a couple of them. And by the end of this year, Five Below plans to have 750 stores. But management's ultimate goal is to bring that up to 2,500. Yet long term, they think they could triple their footprint. And that is huge. And look, the average payback period for a new store is less than a year, which means they're not going to burn through a lot of cash expanding. That was one of the great parts of the conference call. Uh, This is just a lucrative business. Still, investors have been somewhat reluctant to fully embrace Five Below until at least this week. Now, it all started with a note from the fantastic Matthew Boss out of J.P. Morgan. He initiated coverage of Five Below with an overweight rating and an $87 price target. At the time, this was a $71 stock. So that was aggressive. His argument, the stock was too cheap given the incredible numbers. Five Below is a great concept that's firing on all cylinders. So on that report alone, the stock then spiked 8% just on Matt's report. Sure enough, Boss was dead right, because even though the stock had run into Wednesday night's quarter, the results were so stunning that it exploded higher anyway. What was so great about this quarter? Five Below reported a meaningful top-line beat, that's the revenue number, a big bottom-line beat, that's the profit number, but nothing really earth-shattering, frankly. Their same-store sales growth actually came in a little bit light, 3.2%, rather than the 3.5% Wall Street was looking for. Initially, the stock looked like it was going to trade down, but their margins expanded dramatically, and they put up 33 new stores when the analysts were only looking for 30 uh, and allowed the company to grow its earnings at a monster 160% clip. Think about that. More importantly, Five Below raised nearly every part of its full-year guidance. Even better, every line of their second quarter forecast came in higher than expected. Every line. I've not seen that, even though we've seen an amazing run in the retailers. Now, the secret sauce here was the margins. Five Below's gross margin, what they make after the cost of goods sold, increased by 110 uh, basis points. And their operating margin, the the percent of their sales that become uh, profits before the impact of interest and taxes, increased by 280%. In other words, the company is becoming more efficient and disciplined. Oh my God. Guys, my favorite candy, Smarties. I have a Smarties hat. I wore it at the beach. It looks like Make America Great Again, but it's Make Smarties Great Again. And they were always great. Trust me. Remember, the story here is all about putting up new stores. But for people to keep buying the stock, they need to believe that Five Below can execute on its expansion plans without burning money. This quarter was powerful evidence that the company can do just that because, you know, a lot of these things, I mean, I know you probably think this looks like like a $30 plush toy, but they make big money off of this thing. See, well, hey, oh, geez. 
Now you're talking. Suddenly, the analysts rushed to raise their price target, and the stock rallied 22% yesterday, which begs the question, is Fibolo actually worth buying here? I mean, between the J.P. Morgan initiation and the quarter, the stock is up more than 40% just in the past week. 40%! I mean, sure, it's a growth story, but at these levels, the stock isn't exactly cheap. It's 33 times next year's earnings estimate. So buying it up here, well, that, that would be the, be the definition of chasing, and we don't chase race cars. If you own five below going into this amazing quarter, as I recommended last Friday, I want you to feel free to ring the register on part of your position. Nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. But if you don't own any five below and you want some, I recommend waiting for the next market-wide pullback. Don't worry. The tweets will give you a chance. Plus, the company's up against some very difficult comparisons over the next couple of quarters. So I wouldn't be surprised if you get a better buying opportunity here as long as you're patient. Remember, all the shorts covered. So there's really nothing underneath now. Here's the bottom line. Five Below is a phenomenal long-term story, which is why you don't need to feel pressured to buy it immediately. I want you to take your time after this monster move, wait for a better entry point, and then, and really only then, you can pounce. Now you're talking! Anthony in New York, Anthony! Hey, Jim, how's it going? I'm doing great. I was wondering about Costco. You think it's a buy after Costco over two hundred dollars is still cheap. I've got to tell you, I was surprised it didn't go over two hundred dollars when it first reported. So I will continue to buy the stock. Let's take another question. That's it? Oh my God! I mean, he and I were just becoming friends. Look out for five below. What a terrific long-term story. Wait for a better entry point though, and then you gotta pounce. It's a very, very fine house, and it just earned a spot on CNBC's sixth annual Disruptor 50 list. So you do not want to miss my exclusive with the CEO of the Home Improvement Company. Then when you, then when you spend a whole day listening to more than a dozen people, you're going to come back with some takeaways. Tonight, I'm revealing all that I learned at the Deals Corporate Governance Conference that I ran. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round, so stick with... Kramer. Monday, kick off the trading day was Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Why don't we have a $100 billion market cap? Like our, our show unit. It'd be nice if we did. Right? Yeah. $100 billion. How like much is that 9 o'clock show? I'll take a $100 market cap. <laughs> Start there. You guys are the best. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. There are countless ways to remodel, restore, remake, and create. One disruptor is putting those options all in one place. Are the foundations of American housing now strong enough for homeowners to embrace a new way to make their house a home? Every homeowner knows that remodeling your house is a huge pain in the neck, and that's putting it lightly. Sorting through all of the available options and figure out how they fit in your kitchen or your bedroom, it can drive you insane. Which brings me to Howls, H-O-U-Z-Z. That's number 31 on CNBC's Disruptor 50 list of startups that are revolutionizing their industries. Howls is a privately held company, no stock, that helps you remodel. Go to their website or download their app, and you can visualize what all this stuff will look like inside your home. Then you use Howls' online marketplace to buy the fixtures and furniture and appliances that you're looking at. It's a brilliant hook, 
and it's a game changer for the remodeling business. Earlier this week, I got a chance to speak with Adi Tatarko. She's the co-founder and CEO of Hal's to get a better sense of how all this works. Take a look. Adi, first, congratulations on making the CNBC disruptor list. For those who do not know Hal's, could you please describe to us exactly what you do for so many people? Hi, Jim. Glad to be here and talk to you today. Uh, what we do is provide the best platform for everybody that is interested in remodeling, building, designing their homes, collaborating with 40 million people a month, and getting the best tools to execute their dream homes on house. Now, you have millions of pictures, and a lot of people like to browse and get ideas, but you also have multiple revenue streams. So can you describe them to us? Yes, so you're correct, Jim. We do have um, 16 million different images with lots of data attached to these images because for our community members, uh, 40 million people a month that are using it, it's not enough to see um, the pictures and get great ideas, but they also want to execute. So when it comes to our revenue streams, both of them were born out of what our community, what our uh, members of House wanted to do on House. The first one, we do have a robust community of professionals, 1.6 million professionals. And what they wanted to get from House is the ability to get local exposure to their brands and ability to interact with the relevant homeowners on house. So one of our revenue streams was born out of this necessity and need. And it's a subscription model, which allows the professionals, on top of their organic, completely free um, exposure that they get, to build a robust local profile and interact with the relevant users on house. The second one was also built out of the need of the community. Both professionals and homeowners said that they love the fact that they get all the data attached to the photos that we have, and today we have over 16 millions of them. Um, but they wanted also to sync the tags and be able to purchase these products that they see, the materials that they see right away from house. And that helped us to make a decision to build a robust marketplace on house. Today we have over 20 million, uh, 20,000 different sellers and vendors selling over 10 million different products on house. So you can get it all. In being inspired, find the great professionals that would help you execute a project, and then that second channel would help you get all the products and materials. And that's what created uh, both revenue channels, the demand from our own community. Okay, my wife is an avid user of house, both for our apartment, but also to decorate our restaurants. I know, I think that she should be using this View in My Room 3D product. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we're very proud as a technology company that we can always be in front of, you know, the best technologies and apply them very deeply into our own um, industry. Uh, so viewing my room 3D is basically an ability to use your mobile um, device to empower you and envision everything, how it's going to look like in your own room. Since we introduced that tool um, last year, we had over 2 million people that used it in order to make decisions for their home remodeling and design. And these people were 11x more likely to purchase the products and materials that they saw using this technology. So it's really empowering the users to envision everything uh, in their own space. 
Now, how have so many people heard of you? I mean, look, I candidly, when I asked my wife, how do you know house? She goes, how do I know house? I use house all the time, which is not that responsive to what I was trying to get. How do people find out who don't use it all the time? I think a house from the very beginning uh, grew a lot by word of mouth um, to that enormous community. Many people referred each other. Both homeowners told their friends about it. Um, they told their professionals about it. And again, professionals are using it to work closely with their clients to plan to see what is it that would work well for their clients. So we have... Um, Many professionals, designers and um, architects, as well as the builders and the general contractors, that they use it as the most essential tool to collaborate with their clients. Uh, 1.6 million professionals on house collaborate with these 40 million homeowners, and that interaction is becoming very important. So they introduce each other um, to the tool and work uh, with it on a daily basis. During One last the question: If someone has a design project, if someone has a project overseas, international. How can they use it? This is a great question, Jim, because, you know, when we started it, Alon and I, it was a very local project for us, which obviously over time expanded tremendously to all over the U.S. But today, more than 50 percent of our new users are coming from countries outside of the U.S. Um, this is due to the fact that we decided back in 2013 um, to start expanding and build local platform in relevant countries. Uh, we expanded all over Europe, and we started the expansion to Asia as well. Um, this is very, very meaningful for us, because the market itself, when you look at it, we're talking about $1.2 trillion market just between North America and Europe, put Asia aside, which is another enormous opportunity. And so the ability to go and localize it based on the needs of each industry in each country was tremendous for us. And this is how they hear it. They have it local and connected to the global community that we have on house. So prioritizing what they need okay. in the industry there, connecting it to the rest of the world. Well, thank you so much. And once again, congratulations on being a disruptor. You've got a fantastic you, product Jim. and a great story. That's Addie Tatarko. She's the CEO of House. That's H-O-U-Z-Z. They have money's back here. It is time. It is time for the library. Because we're going to say, girls, one another. Same Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. It's time for the lightning round. Because we're going to start with Mike in Florida. Mike, Mike, Mike. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Glad Mike, I finally I got thrilled. through. I am thrilled. It's the weekend. How can I help? Yeah. How uh, how does the future look for a longtime owner of uh, Rockwell Collins, currently being taken over by United Tech? Well, I mean, you know, I, look, I, I think you had all you're going to get there. And congratulations. I don't know what else to say. Boy, do I like United Tech once that deal is clo it closes, though. Let's go to Michael in Florida. Michael! Booyah, Mr. Jim from Booyah. Florida. Booyah. Uh, so I have so many questions and so little, Mr. Kramer. Thank you. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm a I'm a data center engineer by trade, okay. and I know how great Cisco gear and equipment. It's as you like to say, best in breed, best yes, in class. Absolutely. Why is the stock so low? Well, you know, people didn't really care for the last quarter, to be honest. They felt that the guidance wasn't as strong either. You know what I say? I say use that to buy Chuck Robinson's great company. You're getting a rare opportunity to buy a high-quality technology stock below where it should be. Let's go to Joel in Pennsylvania. Joel. 
Hi, Jim. Booyah to you. Booyah. What's up? Hey, what do you think of Charles Schwab? Oh, man, they are just coining money. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Bye, bye, bye. Let's go to Jim in New York. Jim. Hey, from one New York gym to another, booyah to you. Booyah back. <laughs> Oshkosh, Jim. I bought it in February at eighty-eight, eighty-nine. What a disappointment. Yeah, it has been, and it got some raw cost problems, some assembly problems there. Uh, but you know what? Thor came back. And Thor was, was trading with Oshkosh. So let's give Oshkosh some time. I think it can rally from here. Let's go to BJ in South Carolina. BJ. Oh, yeah, Jim. What do you think about MGM Resorts? Oh, man, that's Jim Yearn. He's doing a terrific job. I've got to tell you, it's come down to the point. Obviously, it had a you know, tragedy there. Uh, but it's it just terrible. But I've got to tell you, I think it's I think it's $30. just have to stand there quiet. Um, I need to go to Allen in Kentucky. Allen. To ask if it's good to to buy into the Mattel stock after they a sold Monster A lot of Monster smart money I is also. buying Mattel, but I have no. I cannot recommend a stock on a takeover basis where I think the fundamentals are going down. Particularly not when I think that Hasbro is so terrific with Brian Golder. So that's the one I would own. Hey, we're not done. We're going to Harry in New York. Harry. Hey Jim, a big booyah from Harry from New York. How are you? I am uh, good. How are you, Harry? I'm doing wonderfully. Thanks for taking my call. My question is, I've held on to CL for about 20 years. Uh, it has some great dividends, uh, but it looks like uh, it's down a little bit the past 52 weeks. And my right, question well, look, is, the last quarter yeah. was not good, but the stock is now overcompensated, and I do think that you should buy it. And I'm going to give you two for I think buying PepsiCo right here is brilliant. And that, ladies and other lightning round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. This is Christian Galbraith, my dad Dennis Galbraith, calling from Tampa, Florida. Boo, 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 yeah, Jim. Oh, yeah, Dr. Kramer. Man, doctor, I've, a lot of people have taken my, I guess it, I, what's this death is good? What's going on? Chipotle, Del Taco, El Pollo Loco, and Bar San Miguel. Del Taco, El Pollo Loco, Bar San Miguel. No, not even public yet. What do we make of the stock of Palo Alto? Palo, what do we make of the stock of Palo Alto? a whole day hearing from more than a dozen people at the Deals Corporate Governance Conference, as I did yesterday where I hosted it, you can come back with a gazillion takeaways. But because this is mad money, not mad corporate governance reform, I'm going to limit myself to the takeaways that can help you turn a profit. So here goes. First, consider owning some Qualcomm. After speaking with CEO Steve Mollenkopf for the second time in 24 hours, this time after the Commerce Secretary said that we'll make accommodations for ZTE, the big Chinese smartphone maker, I think China will allow Qualcomm to acquire longtime favorite NXP Semi. Remember, the People's Republic has ostensibly been holding this deal hostage ever since our government banned ZTE from buying U.S. components for seven years. The combination of the NXP deal uh, getting done 
which would help Qualcomm diversify away from cell phones. And the potential for a settlement with Apple over unpaid bills, it could be huge for the stock. If all goes well, I could see Qualcomm going from the $60 right now to $80 in the not-too-distant future. Second, I got a good feel for Procter & Gamble, and Nelson Peltz, who recently won a proxy fight to get on the board of directors, told us the company's considering his plan to give each global business unit accountability that is sorely lacking today, and that could give a nice boost to the stock. It was tough to read what Peltz thought about General Electric, other than the fact that everything seems to be on the table. More importantly, GE didn't cut the dividend this morning. Steve Holmes, the former CEO of Wyndham, who's now chairman of both Wyndham Hotels and Resorts, the largest hotel franchise that we interviewed recently, and Wyndham Destinations, the timeshare kingdom, which we also had on the show, and Sean Conley, the CEO of ConAgra, they all made me feel really bullish about their businesses. I think they're all cheap stocks, especially both Wyndham's, which, as I mentioned, when you, I hope you listen to them, I think they told both very compelling stories. Finally, while it's run a great deal, I think Macy's remains a buy, especially on a pullback, because CEO Jeff Gannett has proven himself to be a miracle worker. He talked about the need to be a technologist. He brought in some people from eBay, as well as a real estate maven and a banker buying back debt, not stock, to fix the balance sheet. Most important, he stressed the role of big data in figuring out what the customers really want. Retail has caught fire of late, and Jeff's thoughts made it clear to me that the survivors here are the change that are using technology to fend off Amazon and bring back their old customers. In this case, all the people who loved the Macy's, but didn't, Macy's the concept, but didn't like the way the Macy's was executing. Remarkable humility from a CEO who engineered, I gotta tell you, one of the greatest turnarounds I've ever seen. Stick with credit. Markets back in a very positive rotational mode. This time we had the drug stocks. Yesterday we had the bank stocks. The day before that we had the tech stocks. We've got the industrials going. That's exactly what needs to happen. And throughout this, retail's been good. Why? Because last week at this time, we had an unemployment number that showed you great growth without inflation. That's ideal. The Fed can do it at once in that environment, and we will still like stocks. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on NAB. Money. I'm Jim Craver. See you Monday. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.